So those are, that, that is our heart, right? That the Lord, Lord, would you build your house? Uh, start in our hearts, Lord, build your house. And so last week we looked at Nehemiah, um, knowing the importance of embracing the right fight. How do we know which thing to engage with? And today, or this week, I should say, we want to look at the life of Moses, specifically just two snapshots. We could spend a long time in his life, but we want to take two snapshots and ask a simple question is, what motive is fueling your fight or the burden of your heart? Not just what do you care passionately to see changed, not just that question, but what's the motive? What drives it? Because to Jesus, our motives matter, that we can have the right intentions, but the wrong hearts. How many of you know that you can have the right word to say to someone, but if your heart isn't loving, it's hard to hear? It distorts a little bit. So that's what we want to look a little bit at today. Now, whether you're here or whether you're at home, if you're at home, you can write it in the chat. And if you're here, you can say it kind of quietly under your mask. I want you to finish this sentence. If you know it, I want you to finish this sentence. There are always two sides to... Yeah, there are always two sides to every story. There's always two sides to every story. Now, here's what I want to propose. What if that isn't exactly true? What if it's known, but not actually true? What if there aren't just two sides to a story? Yes, there are, but what if there are not only two sides to a story? What if there is a third side that needs to be considered? Exodus chapter 33 is a very famous prayer of Moses. And the context of the prayer is this, that Moses is returning from being in God's presence, so much so that his face literally glows, like that's being in God's presence. He's got the Ten Commandments in hand, and as he's coming down the mountain, he sees the children of Israel who are no longer in Egypt, but they're not yet in the Promised Land, and so they've lost sight of God leading them. They've come through the Red Sea, and you'd think, man, if God does this, then I would never lose sight of him again. But here's what's true of their life, and here's what's true of our life. Whatever current storm we're going through oftentimes blinds us to what God has done. This is, doesn't make you a bad person. This makes you a human being. And this is what we see here. And so they have gold and they create this golden calf. Now the calf or what they create isn't as significant. It's the fact is simply that they take what they have and they create something that they want to then worship. And we don't look back and go, man, that's really, really weird. Because once again, we do this all the time. We would rather create things that we can control. Therefore, we worship them. We don't use the word worship, but that's really what we do rather than trusting in a God who we can't control. And so this is what we see going on here. And on behalf of the children of Israel, Moses is coming down from the presence of God. He's got the Ten Commandments in his hand, and he sees them worshiping this golden calf that they've created, and his heart is absolutely broken. And here's his prayer in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15. He says, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring me up from here. He cries out, he intercedes before the Lord. Lord, this is a problem. I know this is a problem, but... If you're just going to stay up there on that mountain, detached and disconnected, if I can't see, here's the direct translation of this, because oftentimes when we think about God's presence, we can think about a feeling or an emotion or something that we can experience. And yes, it can be all of those things, the weightiness of God, the tangible experience of his presence. Yes, I'm not diminishing that, but here's precisely translated what Moses says. If I can't see your head in front leading, not a step further. 
If I can't see you leading us, if I can't see you leading me, then I don't want to take another step. That's exactly what he cries. And he cries this prayer. He says this prayer, I should say, for a specific reason. And the reason is this. Moses can remember a time in his life where he didn't know God, where he had the same heart of justice of leading his people from Egypt to a land of promise. But there was a point in Moses' life where he didn't know the Lord. And so he doesn't lead righteously. He doesn't lead them out of injustice. He leads into further injustice. He doesn't lead them from injustice to justice, just more injustice. That was a lot of justice words right in a row. Here's what is true of Moses' life and mine and yours. Your life will always travel down the direction of your heart, of your burden. What moves your heart? What breaks your heart? What has broken your heart? Your life always moves in the direction of what absolutely touches and breaks our heart. But it doesn't always mean that what is moving our heart is the right motive. So discerning what is driving our burden, determining whether we are living into truth or lies, whether our burden makes the world a better place, or a different place, but really just more of the same. We have to look back to an earlier moment in the life of Moses where we see God uses his burden, but his burden is not yet formed by God. You see, Hebrews believed that every single person was valuable. It's called Imago Dei. They are created, every person is created in the image and likeness of God whether they look like you or don't look like you, whether they're the same gender of you or a different gender from you, whether they believe what you believe or they absolutely believe things that are completely contrary, every single human being is created in the image and likeness of God. This is what the Hebrews believe. Now, the Egyptians, the Egyptians didn't believe this, which is why they could do what they could do to the children of Israel. See, the Egyptians believed something different, which is simply this, that people were not intrinsically valuable, that people were just merely functional. And Moses was born Hebrew, but if you know his story, he was raised Egyptian. And so for Moses, he's got these conflicting worlds on the inside of him, these worldviews, these belief systems. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 2. It says, one day, everyone say one day. I love it. It wasn't on his calendar, but there was a day where his burden bubbled over. The passion of his heart spills out. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, he was no longer a child. He went out and he looked. He went out to his people, the Hebrews, and he looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that. Pause. How many of you know that when you look this way and that, you're about to do something that you shouldn't do? Like a little kid, right? Like, look, and that's what's going on here. You look this way and that. And seeing no one, doesn't mean people didn't see him, he struck down the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. In other words, Moses takes the life of an Egyptian and then he buries him in the sand. Moses thinks he gets away with it. He went out. The next day, and behold, now two Hebrews are struggling together. He's two Hebrews fighting one another. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And just like then as it is today, how many of you know that people don't like being told what to do, especially when they're mad? 
This is what we see here. Moses interjects. He's into a struggle. Two people are in a conflict. And Moses kind of like tries to step in and bring some leadership. Why do you strike your, compo- your, your, your companion? Why are you striking someone? In other words, here's what he's saying. We've got enough problems with the Egyptians beating on us. We don't need to be beating each other. And he answered, here's what the person who answered, well, who made you prince and judge over us? Now, the answer to that question in a moment is going to be, God's going to do this. But not yet. Then he says, ah, did you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And now Moses is, uh uh-oh, looking this way and that. He thought he saw everything, but he didn't. Then he was afraid and he thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. And I wish I could unpack that well. Do you like Bible studies? Unpack that well. It's significant. Now, Moses is blessed by the right burden. There's nothing wrong with his burden. When he sees two things, his burden is twofold. Number one, when he sees the injustice occurring to Hebrews at the hands of the Egyptians, his burden bubbles over. And this is the burden that God is going to use in Moses' life. Secondly, the second burden that he has is he sees Hebrews fighting one another, grumbling and complaining. And God is going to use this burden in Moses' life. But here's the problem. Moses, at this moment, has not yet met God. Oh, he's heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he's grown up in Egypt with all other gods, and he's not met Yahweh yet. And so his burden is right, but his motivation is wrong. And once again, his feet turn in the direction of his burden. He knows, again, what the Egyptians are doing is wrong. He knows they should not be enslaving and doing what they're doing to the children of Israel. He knows seeing two Hebrews fighting one another is wrong. But again, he doesn't know God, so he can see one way and another way, but he can't yet see God's way. He can't see there's two sides to every story, but there is a third person, there's a third character that's going to be interjected into this story that's going to change everything. So Moses' actions, first and foremost, by, number one, killing an Egyptian, it just fuels further injustice. Why do I say that? Because in this story, an Egyptian is dead and the Hebrew slave is not yet free. Nothing changes except one life and one destiny. See, for Moses, again, right here, there are two sides. There's the Hebrew side, and then there's the Egyptian side. But meeting God is going to change this. And here's what's beautiful. It says that his feet move in the direction of his burden. He acts unjustly or unjustly. Now, God was going to use Moses' life to confront Pharaoh, but he wasn't ready. And so Moses' feet continue in the wrong direction. It says that he runs from Pharaoh, But here's what I want you to know. It's extraordinary how many people run from God only to run into God. I did. I mean, stupid is as stupid does sometimes. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. It's really wild that you try to run from a God who is everywhere. But sometimes the burden of our hearts And then as a result of those burdens, the actions that we take, they need to be reconciled and they need to be formed. And so here we see 
Moses running in the other direction. But while running in the other direction, guess who meets him? God. Away from Egypt for the next 40 years. Everyone say 40 years. That's a long time. For the next 40 years, God enrolls Moses in his school of formation. God's school of transformation is this. It is way, it is truth, and it is life. Let me say it again. God's school of transformation is way, it is truth, and it is life. That's why Jesus, in the book of John, said, here's who I am. I am way, I am a direction that your life goes in. I am not a decision that you made in 1976. I am a direction that you walk in every day of your life. I am way, and if you walk in the way of Jesus, if you live into the way of Jesus, if your heart moves into the way of Jesus, and here's what's beautiful, is you can be running this way, or you can be running this way, you can be running that way. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus can intersect you anywhere and any way, just like Moses. Jesus is way, then he's truth. What is truth? It is separating that which is grounded in reality versus that which is grounded in a lie. Deception versus truth, which leads to life. Satan's school of deformation is way, it is deception, and then it is ultimately destruction. So Moses is moving away from Egypt, yet on his way he meets God. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6 and 7 and 8, it reads this. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, so Moses sees this shrub that is burning, but it's not being consumed. God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Anytime you see God calling your name twice, that's a pay attention moment in scripture. Kind of like when your mom called your full name when it was time to come home for supper. When I was a kid, when we would listen to our mom or our dad call our name, if they just called you by your first name one time, you ignored it. It didn't really matter. It wasn't a big deal. It was kind of just like a first warning shot. But when you heard your full name, including your middle name, you knew, I, I'm in trouble. i got to go right now. I'm right now, right now. Supper's been on the table. It's getting cold, and I, this is a problem. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, this is what God said, don't come near Take, off this, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, God did, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses hid his face where he was afraid to look at God. And then it says in verse seven and eight, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction. So Moses sees the affliction of his people, but now God is going to say, no, no, I see it too, but I see it differently than you see it. I don't see it in a way where you just fuel injustice. I see it in a profoundly different way. Watch what God says to Moses. It's amazing. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down. Here's what God says. I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the, of the Egyptians and bring them up. Everyone say, deliver them out and bring them up. This is a move of God. A move of God always takes you from, but it takes you to somewhere different. Not just from, 
but two. So I'm going to take you, deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and bring them up to the land, a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the lots of ites here. We go through here. That's all. I'm just going to skip that. Okay. Now, all of this is true, but how many know that God is holy? And there's this amazing moment here where we see as Moses approaches, and I want you to hear God's heart in it because I think it's absolutely beautiful. God says to Moses, take off your sandals. I should have wore shoes with a lot less laces. Take off your sandals. In other words, change your posture. Because the place where you are standing is holy. Now, all that separated Moses from the dirt was a little, was a little converse. A little sandal is all that separated him from this dirt. But there is something beautiful when you and I can change our posture when we encounter God's presence. That it's not just haphazard and like, whatever. It's not flippant. It's it's holy. It's set apart. It's different. But I also love the heart here of God's presence, which is Moses. I want your feet to feel the dirt beneath your toes. Take your sandals off because I don't want there to be anything, even the smallest thing like a sandal, I don't want it to be separating you from my presence. God cares about big things and small things. God is holy, so again, he says, I'm separate from. And, but God also says that he's seen their affliction, he's heard their cry, and he knows their suffering. But again, there is a land of promise. But the journey to the promised land for them and for us is going to be a battle, not of what moves your heart. It's going to be a battle between when your heart is moved, which direction do you move? Do you move in the way of truth that leads to life? Or do I move in the way of deception that ultimately leads to destruction? See, each obedient step is going to bring them one step closer, and each disobedient step leads them into greater wandering. And here's what is critical to know. The enemy, our spiritual enemy, he will seldom block your burden. Your burden isn't holy. Your burden is human. When you look at the world and you say, it should not be this way. Why is it this way? Why is it so broken? Why does it do this? When you look at the church and you say, it shouldn't be this way. Why is it broken? That burden is beautiful. It's an extraordinary thing. But that burden, either in the hands of God or the hands of the enemy, can accomplish different things. And the enemy will seldom block your burden, but he will try to use your burden to move you in the way of deception rather than the way of truth. Because ultimately, our feet go in the direction of our burdens, and that's why our motives matter. You see, Moses is being formed by God for 40 years. Why 40 years? Because that's how long it took for God to form him. 
that he could not run from Pharaoh, but face Pharaoh. It took 40 years for Moses to see himself as God sees him, to embrace each and every one of those things. But at the outset, his burden was never wrong. But the motivation of his heart was. It wasn't just an issue between Hebrews and Egyptians, though it was. There was another way to consider. There was God's way. When we look at the world, it's not just an issue between what's good and what's bad, what is healthy and what's unhealthy, what I think is right and what you think is right. Two sides to every story. No, what I'm asking you to consider today as followers of Jesus, what we absolutely embrace is, yeah, there are two sides to the story, but God, what's your side of the story? What's your heart in this? Because here's what's great. God didn't just need to move in the Egyptians. He also needed to move in the Israelites. God didn't just only need to move in the life of Pharaoh. He needed to form and shape in the heart of Moses. It's really easy for us sometimes as Christians to look at anybody else who's not a follower of Jesus. Like, well, we're right and they're wrong. Ooh, careful with that. No, we may absolutely know who the way, the truth, and the life is, but that doesn't mean that everything in our heart, Jesus doesn't also have to transform in us. You see, for Israel to get where God was taking them, they need to embrace who God says they are and not who Egypt had defined them to be. And so God cares for you and for me about our present condition right now whether your burden is leading you to do great things or whether the burden of your heart, what has wounded your heart, has caused you to close in and shut out. I want you to know that just as we see in this story, you and I serve a God who knows their sufferings, saw the injustice, and cared greatly about it. God cared more about what was happening to the children of Israel than Moses did. And I want you to know God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cares about what's happening in your present condition, but he also cares about your future destination, which is why God in the person of Jesus Christ years later would say these words. What does it profit a man? What does it profit humanity? What does it profit us? If we gain the whole world and we forfeit our soul. What does it matter if the direction of our feet for the things that are wrong in this life what does it matter if the burdens of our heart lead people to a better place but not a different place? What does it matter if they worship maybe like unhealthy gods to like healthy gods but still not God? This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the gospel isn't to your heart and life to make your life just a little bit better. No, no, the gospel is not about that there are bad people and there are good people. The gospel is there are dead people and then there are alive people that we need to be born again by the Holy Spirit of God. So it doesn't mean that Christians, again, have everything right and everything perfect. It means that God has done in us and for us what we could never do for ourselves. Moses has the proper burden, but the power of his life isn't righteousness. God's power and his burden is righteousness because he knows the beginning from the end. As I mentioned a moment ago, there's a reason why before Moses taking the life of the Egyptian looks kind of around to see if anyone's looking. As Dr. Martin Luther King would later say many years ago, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. that in my life I have learned, just like you probably have, that there's no right way to do the wrong thing. 
It takes God 40 years for Moses to relearn seeing Egypt and Pharaoh and the children of Israel. But the only way that he can do it is to keep saying, I'm right here. Here I am. I love how Jackie Hill Perry says this. The ground on which Moses stood on that day where he met God was called holy, not because the dirt was divine. There was nothing special about the dirt, but because the presence of God sanctified it and set it apart from all other grounds. So hear this with both ears in your heart, in your whole heart. Wherever God is, is fundamentally different than wherever God isn't. And so what Jesus is driving at, hell is not only a destination, it is a direction. Because what it is, it is the actual place where God's presence has never been, nor will ever be. And wherever God is, is fundamentally different from wherever God isn't. This is why Moses, when he sees injustice, and he acts unjustly. There's nothing wrong with the burden of his heart. But we see, when he meets God, he realizes, oh, this is not just an issue between Hebrews and Egyptians. There aren't just two sides to this story, though there are. There's a third side that I need to consider, which is why we see Moses, our opening story, he's coming down the mountain. And what does a transformed Moses say? If your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. If I can't see where you're leading, not one step further. Freedom is not as simple as my way or your way. There's a third way, and that is God's way, which alone has the power to transform all our ways. God may not need to change your burden, but he may need to transform what you believe or what you hold as true. Life Center, we have different spiritual gifts, natural abilities, acquired skills, life experiences. This makes us unique and different. But we all are living a life with a singular decision. That is, which way are our feet moving in the direction of our burden towards and with God or away from God. And you may be saying, well, I'm just neutral. There is no neutrality. There is no neutrality. I'm not saying that you're moving in against God, but when we choose self over surrendering to a work of the Spirit, we are choosing a way that leads to destruction Oh, what could be different in the church? Oh, what could be different in our lives? If we as a church would once again pray, if your presence doesn't go with us, not one step further. What could be different, what could be different in your life? What could be different in mine? What could be different in churches? If once again we had a revival and an awakening, Lord, if your presence and power does not transform us, not one step further. Here's what I know. 
We need teenagers. We need teenagers learning not only left and right. We need teenagers learning that there is a third way, which is God's way. We need 20s and 30s learning that the way of Jesus is not only looking at oppression and oppressor, though that is significant and vital, it is also considering the way of the only one who can truly set both of us free. We need those in their 40s and over to say yes, just saying, God, would you lead us in a different way? Because as Canadians, if we only keep living in, there's two sides to every story, we're gonna destroy each other. We need to learn that there is a different way and that there's a different story that should make a Jesus-sized difference in all of our hearts and lives. We need teenagers not becoming more religious. We need teenagers following in the formation way of Jesus. We need 20s and 30s following in this formative way of Jesus. And we need those over 40 following in this way of Jesus. Don't just tell me about your decision in 1964 where you made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm grateful for it. But what about today? What about the last season? Are we continuing to follow Jesus don't tell me as a teenager that when, seven, when you were seven, you were baptized. Which direction are your feet following? What is forming how you think and feel about the world in which you live? All I know is Life Center. We need every single one of us in this fight. We don't got to be fighting one another anymore. What could be if we had hearts for God's presence and we united against a common enemy, and our common enemy is not any one of us. It is the one who turns our feet from truth to deception. This, and he alone, is our common enemy. If your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up to you.